0: Find 1 Thessalonians
1: chapter 4, the passage in the book that's probably best known by people. Hope beyond the grave, hope beyond the grave. i have not given you spaces to fill in tonight, so you can listen harder. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and follow me. Got it? Got it? Okay, here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others, as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, one of the great challenges that we face in life is facing death. Being prepared for our own death, being prepared for the death of our loved ones. And many people are not equipped to handle either one of those challenges. The Thessalonians were not prepared. Now, they had become believers. They were growing. They were sharing their faith. Their faith was sounding forth to all of Macedonia and the region around them. And so they were impacting people greatly for the gospel. And yet they still could not grapple with this issue of death. You know, somebody once wisely said, until you're prepared to die, you're not really prepared to live. And there's some wisdom in that statement. Well, we see here tonight that uh, a proper understanding of what the Bible says about death has a way of bringing peace and comfort to our hearts. If we understand what the scripture says about it. Not what the world says. Not necessarily what all your friends say. What the Bible says, if we understand that, it brings a great deal of peace and comfort to our hearts. It's helped me to think in terms of the five R's in this passage. And this is not these are not going to be my outline, but nonetheless, you'll see an emphasis of these words. Resource Remorse, resurrection, rapture, and reunion. And you'll see these verses are sort of built around those five words, or I've organized it around those five words. I want you to see first of all tonight, the Christian is not to be ignorant of death and what happens after death. Paul says, I want you to be ignorant, my brothers and sisters. Some translations say ignorant, some uninformed. Uh, Paul's not insulting them. Please don't think that he's insulting them. He's not. He's simply pointing out that they are all upset about the death of their loved ones because they don't understand death from a biblical perspective. In fact, they're probably understanding it more from a pagan perspective but let's not be too hard on them. Remember the background that they've come out of, and they're very young Christians. Now, they had heard about the second coming, and they were expecting it. When you read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, many of them were expecting the return of the Lord to happen within their lifetime. In chapter 1, verse 10, They were waiting on his appearing. They were expecting Christ to return at any minute. And uh, Paul has gone over some of this instruction about the second coming of the Lord, the time he has spent with them. Now the early Christian teaching about the second coming of Christ or the parousia, sometimes referred to as the parousia, his arrival, his appearing, his coming, uh, that word parousia was sometimes used of important dignitaries, and again, it's a word that was applied to Christ coming. Uh, some of the early Christian teaching about Christ coming consisted of the following, and probably Paul had taught him elements of all of these. Uh, the Christian understanding was that Jesus parousia takes place from heaven. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, Matthew 24, 30. He will come with the clouds. Matthew 24, verse 30, Mark 13.26 Revelation 1:7. 1, His coming will be accompanied by angels. Matthew 24, 31. Mark 8:38. Matthew 25, 31. It will be involving manifestations of great power and glory Matthew 24:30 mark 1326 Luke 926 it will be announced by a trumpet blast first Corinthians 1552 revelation 11:15 and it will be associated with judgment second Corinthians 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. In First Thessalonians, Second uh, Thessalonians, Chapter Two, Verse Eight. You got all that? You ready for the test? Well, they they had apparently understood much of this, but the thing that they were not prepared for was the death of their loved ones before this event. It is though they were thinking that perhaps all of the promises of God's Word about eternal life were only good for those who were still alive at Christ's coming. So what about those who have died? Is their death going to prevent them from being a part of what God's going to do when He comes again, sends His Son again? Are they going to miss out on all that? Obviously, they, and certainly not. They're not going to miss that. Paul's going to go over that. Obviously, they, they've been expecting Jesus within their lifetimes. And so when people in the congregation began to die, again, they're worried, are they going to miss something? You know, it's funny how things change. They were so expectant of Christ's return that they were selling off stuff, cashing it in, cashing in their assets, and they were waiting on his return. Paul's going to tell them in 2 uh, 2 Thessalonians, get back to work. You could say they were so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. They weren't even being any good to themselves. Ours might be the opposite problem. We're so earthly minded, oftentimes we're no heavenly good. And so, again, Paul's going to have to write to them telling them to live more responsibly until Christ does come. Today it's like many people have forgotten that He's coming. And they're just sort of living like the world. We're living like in the days of Noah. It's sad. Well, Paul points out to them that that we're to have the proper resources when it comes to death and by resources here I mean convictions. Convictions based on the word of God. We're to base our convictions about life and death on the sure and certain word of the living God. To be ignorant of future things, if we don't know God's Word, it's going to lead to uncertainty. It's going to lead to a lack of hope, real hope. And even worse than that, if we don't understand God's Word, we're gonna, we might be tempted to go along with the plethora of ideas that are out in the world if we don't understand what the Bible says. Some of the views in Paul's day, for example, would have been the Stoics, for example, that God is just some big cosmic flame. And when you die, you're just a little spark and you get reabsorbed into this cosmic flame. And you lose all identity. You just become a part. Your little spark becomes a part of this big flame. Or there was the Epicureans, and their thought of the afterlife was despair. And so they had the philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. A gravestone in Paul's day read, and I quote here, I was not, I became, I am not, so I care not. There was an inscription at Thessalonica. Folks, at Thessalonica, there was an inscription that read, after death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. That was in their very town. And so you can understand why they were worried. One Greek philosopher, Catalus, said the sun can set and rise again but once our brief life sets, there is one unending night to be slept through. Again, Theocritus, Thea another philosopher, said, hopes are for the living, the dead have no hope. So that was their culture. That's what a lot of people around the Thessalonians believed. And remember when Paul went to Athens, which was near Thessalonica, and he preached the resurrection of Christ there at Athens, what did many of the people do? Many of the Greeks. Do you remember? They sneered. They mocked. Acts 17, Paul's sermon there at uh, Mars Hill, at the Areopagus, When when Paul got around, when he was talking about Jesus and got around to the resurrection, many of them sneered and mocked. So again, this was the culture that the Thessalonians lived in. And again, they're new believers. No wonder they're so uncertain. Folks, you've got to understand their their background. uh, That it was characterized by no hope. The pagan world gives no assurances, no sure and certain assurances about what happens at death. Now, what about today? We see the same thing in society, right? We don't hear as much about it today, maybe, but uh, decades ago we started hearing a lot about New Age philosophies, which are anything but new. It's just old philosophies repackaged. Eastern religions are coming on big, even in America now, even in the South. You can find Hindu temples, Buddhist temples. I mean, up in Kannapolis, is it on Lane Street, there's a Buddhist temple? In our area now, believe it or not. And many of these philosophies viewed history as being cyclical. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. Or, there's many out there who believe in annihilationism you just simply cease to exist or others reincarnation you know if you've been a good man or a woman you come back maybe intelligent wealthy powerful if you were a bad man you might come back as a dog or cat or rat uh, your goal in some forms uh, your your goal in, in some different nuances of Eastern mysticism is to reach a state of karma, where you just cease to exist altogether. My first church was in the southwest portion of Virginia, a conservative, rural farming community, down-to-earth farming people, Uh, a lot of people from the north. It's such a beautiful area. Up in there, the Blue Ridge Mountains, the Shenandoah Valley, and all. People are moving in, buying land there, building retirement homes, people coming in from outside. Uh, I'll never forget a, a lady that was a pianist in our church, uh, and her son uh, surrendered uh, to preach while Connie and I were there. Uh, there was a, some property near her that sold. And a lady from, I think, out west somewhere bought the property. She was new age and she didn't want anybody stepping on her grass or stepping on a bug because she told people it might be her deceased husband they were stepping on. And she said, you know, the farmers around here shouldn't use pesticides. They ought to learn how to sit down and Communicate and reason with the bugs.
0: Seven dust. Say what? Seven dust. <laughs>
1: Obviously, for most Westerners, uh, we don't we don't buy into all that. It's unbiblical. But still, there are many people who, unfortunately. While, while they wouldn't buy into Eastern mysticism views, would buy into the Muslim view.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you die with more checks in the good column than in the bad column, maybe you'll be saved. And you'll even find some people in churches in America who have that thought. I'm just trying to be good. And I hope when I stand before Christ... There's more good in my life than bad. There's more good, maybe I'll make it in. Have you ever heard anybody talk like that? I have plenty of times. And there's never any certainty. There's never any real hope. So you could say in some ways, we're not that different in our culture today from the people to whom Paul is writing here. And so Paul says we don't want you to be ignorant about about this issue. We don't want you to be uninformed. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say education costs, but ignorance costs even more. And that's true, isn't it?
0: Why do people talk
1: about Peter meeting him at the gate? I don't know. You know, I hope when I meet St. Peter that... Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. We need to be informed. Again, we need to understand what God's Word says. Apart from the revelation of God in Christ we read about in the Bible, the world today still has no assurance about what happens when we die. And so Paul is counting on the fact that if he can share God's Word with them and what God's Word teaches, they'll have hope. Folks, we serve a God who cannot lie, and He has promised to us eternal life. Titus 1 2. Yes, death interrupts relationships, and for that reason, it's painful, but it's not final. Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those risen from the dead, and we too, those in Christ, shall be raised. Death is not the end. No wonder Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, for this reason, grief should be different for us than it is for the unbeliever having the proper resources, proper convictions based on God's word, we are not to be the same as those without faith. Because we have faith in the Lord. We have hope of, of eternal life. We have a hope and a certainty that the world knows nothing about. I've read and and heard him speak at, at in, in sermons, Chuck Swindoll. Many of you probably heard sermons of Chuck Swindoll, and he'd mention about. Uh, I've heard him mention about some of what he's seen at funerals when they're getting ready to co- uh, close the lid of the casket. He said, I've, "I've seen family members rush and grab a hold of the deceased and just wailing and refusing to let them go." Refusing to let the lid be shut. They just won't say goodbye. They won't won't let go. Folks, for a Christian, we grieve. But again, not as those who think that death is final. It's not final. We'll see them again. And if they were Christians and we're Christians, we're going to spend eternity with them. Kind of reminds me about a Christian man who lost his wife. She was also a believer and somebody said to him, Sir, we are so sorry you've lost your wife." And he said, well, I haven't lost her. I don't know exactly where she is. She's with the Lord. And I'm going to see her again one day. That's the hope that we have. Our loved ones are with the Lord and one day He is going to bring them with Him when He comes us. Now the second thing I want you to see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us blessed assurance of our own resurrection. He says in verse 14 for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have died. Now folks, this is perhaps the key Truth in this whole passage here. And everything hinges around what? It hinges around Christ's resurrection. Everything hinges around Christ's resurrection. He's the first fruits from the dead. Go back and read tonight before you go to bed 1 Corinthians 15. Our hope, everything about our hope for the future rests in the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. And so those in Christ will likewise be raised and will be with Him. Again, that's the central thing in this passage. Like Paul said to the Corinthians, if Christ is not raised and all the hope we have is for this life, then what would we be? we'd be miserable. Exactly. You know, we've got a hymn in our hymn books, don't we? Because He lives... Finish that out for me. I can face tomorrow, right? Because He lives... All fear is gone. gone. Exactly. To quote a voice from the past, I think it was D.L. Moody, death is not a period that ends the great sentence of life but rather a comma that punctuates it to a more lofty significance. Death is not a blind alley that leads the human race into a state of nothingness but an open door which leads man into life eternal. Amen? He points out in verse 15 the dead will be raised before we are called up. They're not going to be forgotten. Paul's telling the church your loved ones who have died in the Lord they're not going to be forgotten. In fact, they're going to be first in the resurrection. He says... For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are, left, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangels calling, with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. What Paul is speaking of here is the resurrection of the believer. There's going to be a bodily resurrection. Now, what about your loved ones now who have died in the Lord? Have they enjoyed the bodily resurrection yet? No. So are they not with the Lord? They're with the Lord, aren't they? Their spirit and their soul is with Him, right? And I want that to be clear. They're very much conscious. Conscious. Okay. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. But they don't have the resurrection body at the glorified body. But they will. And you will. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's explaining that here. And there's rich imagery here uh, Some translations use the word sleep. That was a common metaphor in the New Testament for dead because there's some parallels. The Bible is not saying our soul sleeps. But rather the, the parallel is in the sense that sleep is only temporary. What happens the next morning? You wake up. You don't cease to exist. You wake up the next morning. Stand up. Uh, bodily death is only temporary. And you're still you, and your body will stand up on that great getting up morning. And until then, your spirit and your soul are with the Lord. And Paul says here likewise that it's going to happen at the shout command, that was a military term. Which symbolizes what? The authority of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In John 5, he talks about calling forth the, the dead. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Think of what happened with Lazarus, right? He called Lazarus forth. Then you find here the image of, of the trumpet call. We see that again in 1 Corinthians 15. Also we see it in Isaiah twenty-seven thirteen In the Old Testament, you know what the trumpet call was? It was a summons for the exiles to return to Jerusalem. And you see the image of the clouds here, oftentimes a symbol of God's presence. The Exodus, Mount Sinai, uh, in the desert, at Solomon's Temple, when it was dedicated, at the Transfiguration, at the Ascension, and all those passages, we, we see the clouds. So all of these symbols here, sleep, The shout, the trumpet call, clouds. And then as verse 16 points out, when they come with the Lord, what are they going to get? Their new body. Their new body. That's the resurrection being spoken of here. You say, but how's that done? a dead body that may already be decayed be put back together what about those cremated what about those burned up in fires what about those buried at sea listen folks it doesn't matter that's a piece of cake for God nothing's impossible with God and, and besides, if you think God has got to find all the pieces of dust of every decayed body, you've misunderstood what the Bible says anyway. Paul, in first, uh, again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 57, makes it clear that he's going to raise up a new body for everybody just like he did when he made the first man Adam. He doesn't need your decayed pieces. He doesn't need your rotted flesh and bones. He will make you a new body. And again I say, people say, what's that going to be like? The best indication I think we have in the Bible is Jesus' resurrected body when he appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Suddenly he just appeared there somehow. The indication is it sounds like he didn't use a door or window, but, and he was there. Was he a ghost? No, because he invited them to touch him. They they recognized him. He had the scar- He invited Thomas to put his hand into the scars. He he broke bread with them and ate. And again, they recognized that it was Jesus. So there's going to be continuity and discontinuity with what we're like now. Continuity, you'll still be you. You'll be recognized as you. Uh, But discontinuity, it'll be a glorified body. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more disease. I would assume new abilities too, in some sense. Again, we don't understand it all, but continuity, discontinuity. Um, any, Any questions there? Any comments there? Okay. Now, at the same time, while the dead are resurrected we will be, look at what verse 17 says, will be raptured or caught up. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Uh, Literally, the Greek word here for caught up or rapture, it refers to a sudden snatching away. It can even refer to a snatching away by force. Uh, Some commentators have speculated, I don't know that I agree with them entirely, that many believers will be so conformed to the world when Jesus comes it's like you've got to tear them away from the world by force. I can't imagine somebody having to be torn away from the world. But it just simply points out that this world can even have a force to it. We'll be raptured. We'll be snatched away. And somewhere along in this journey, what's going to happen? We're going to be changed. First Corinthians 15. This mortal must put on immortality. And so those who are alive, when the Lord comes with our loved ones who come with him, when we're called up, our our body goes through this radical change, we get the glorified body. We'll meet the Lord in the air. Now, this word was used of when a dignitary would be coming into a town. A greeting party would go outside the town to meet the dignitary. And they would turn around and they would escort the dignitary back into the city. Now folks, 100% of the time, that's how the word is used in the New Testament. Granted, it's not used much, but that's how it's used. There's an instance of the parable of the ten virgins, the five wives who go out to meet the bridegroom. There's another instance of the word in Acts 28 when they go out to meet Paul they turn around and come back with Paul into Rome. Now, granted, Paul doesn't go into a lot of detail here but uh, we can only suppose what he means is that we are called up to meet the Lord in the air now you're all not going to agree with me on what I'm about to say, okay? In fact, I can promise you, you're all not going to agree with me on what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is the majority position in the church around the world is probably not the majority position in some churches in the South, in the United States. But, But we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, we turn around and come back to earth with the Lord, the new heavens and new earth, where we will forever be with the Lord and the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Now I know you all don't, most of you, many of you in here probably believe when you're raptured up, when the Lord descends, bringing our loved ones with Him, and we're caught up to meet him in the air, who turns around? Do we turn around? No. He turns around. and takes us all back up with him. Right? Am I right? Okay. Again, that would be an entirely new use of the word. Because the word is consistently used when we go out to meet a dignitary We turn around and come back with him. That's the consistent use of the word. Hmm. A lot of people believe that we're coming back for a mere 1,000 years earthly reign of Christ. Again, probably the majority of you in here tonight. I'm not going to argue with you. That's a secondary issue and it's not worth fighting over because we we all end up at the same place in the long run in this whole uh, eschatology argument. But something I would have you think about. Again, 1 Corinthians 15 says when all of this happens, death and sin and the grave are going to be no more. Those things will have been destroyed when this happens. But if you believe you're coming back for a thousand years, remember, you still have sin, death, and grave happening over the course of that thousand years. Specifically what First Corinthians 15 disputes. You even have the devil rising up again to lead in one more rebellion according to that view. According to
0: Revelation.
1: Mm-hmm. And you also have the righteous being judged at the beginning of the thousand years and the wicked being judged at the end of the thousand years. But remember, Jesus told a parable about this, the parable of the dragnet in Matthew 13. In that parable, the separation and judgment of both the righteous and the wicked take place in the same event. Just some things to think about. Again, it's secondary issues that because how do we all end up? Same place. We all stand before the Lord in judgment and we all end up in the new heavens and the new earth eventually, right? Yes. You're
0: saying we're going to go up, say, five miles. We're going to bring Him back down. Whatever. As a dignitary, we're going to bring Him back down and then He's going to cast His judgment on us, the righteous, and the unrighteous at that time? No, we're not judged. We were judged at Calvary. We stand before the judgment seat of
1: Christ. Our, we're, we're judged, but our sins are revealed as having been dealt with in Christ.
0: Right, but we still stand before the judgment. Right. Yes, and and that's and and that's when Paul says uh, to to have rewards and the crowns that are given. Okay, so my question is this: if, as a man who has gone. My entire life, thinking that I have to stand before judgment mm-hmm. for the leadership of my own? You will. Yes. Would that be done at that time, or would that when would Yes, be done? at
1: that time, we'll stand before the Lord in judgment okay. for a reward. Again, as far as sins concerned, we're not being judged for we're redeemed in Christ. He bore our sin. Correct. I, 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 but there's crowns and there's rewards and there's Based on our faithfulness here, Parable of the Talents, we'll be given responsibilities. Okay, so no Chick-fil-A cards. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think there's—I'm just saying—I think there's one coming of the Lord where we're called up and come back. I realize many of you in here, you you believe there's a coming, a rapture, the Lord turns around, takes us back. There's other things happen here. Then he comes back for a thousand year reign. By the way, too, the Bible only knows of two ages. This age and the age to come. What are you going to do with a thousand years, the in-between? Again, just something else to think about. Again, all of this, we, we agree on what Paul is saying. He comes back, brings our believing loved ones with him. We're there with them, caught up with the Lord. We we come back. We end up spending eternity with the Lord. Those who believe in two comings of the Lord add in some ad- additional steps that I used to affirm very much. I just I, I don't think that's what the Bible
0: is teaching. Okay, so if those in the past, that have passed, their spirits and souls are in heaven. Mm-hmm. When they come down for that thousand years. That's when they're going to be judged based on their households and their faith and all that stuff. Is that correct? Or have they already been judged are they have they already been judged in the righteous sense of we're just told that it happens. Okay.
1: Somewhere in there it happens. Okay. I'll let it go with that. Thank you. What about and see the great white throne passage that a lot of people associate as being only for unbelievers after the thousand-year reign But yet, what's John say there? John says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he'll be cast into the lake of fire. The implication is, at the great white throne judgment, I believe now that there's going to be some names found written in the book of life. In other words, I think all the judgment passages that we read about in the New Testament are recapitulations of one another. It's described, the bema seed of of Christ, the great white throne, the sheep and the goats, the dragnet, when Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 talks about in that day, both the righteous are going to be judged and the wicked are going to be judged. In that same evening, I think all of those judgment passages are describing the very same thing. I'm not separating them out between believers and unbelievers both believers and unbelievers are judged at, at that event. Jesus said in John 5 when he calls forth the dead there's going to be some that go to everlasting life, some to eternal condemnation. I, I think all these passages on judgment are described in the same event. Recapitulation and just maybe adding some different nuances in. But again... I'm saying we we all agree on the basics. There's some steps that others, and that's okay. These are secondary issues pertaining to salvation that all Christians don't agree on. Some believe that Jesus is gonna uh, you know, before tribulation is gonna come back, some halfway through, some pre-wrath. The historical premillennial position is post-trib pre-millennial. Evangelical Bible-believing Christians, you'll find him in in all of the above camps. But Paul, but but see, here's here's what we need to point out here. Paul is not giving all these details, but what is important to him is to say he's coming back. Our loved ones in Christ are with him. They haven't missed anything. They're not going to miss out one bit. They're going to come, he's going to bring them, we're going to be caught up, we're going to be changed, and we're all going to be with the Lord forever. This is a passage of comfort, of assurance that nobody misses out on any of the glorious promises of the Lord. Nobody misses out. And that's why he ends this passage by saying, therefore, comfort one another with these words. What well, I have a question about is, if we confess
0: our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And then mm-hmm. says, "You know, as far as the east is from the west, okay. all, all the sins we've committed, even before confessing them, going to be before us."
1: Our sin for believers, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Okay, so when
0: what are we going to be judged? I mean,
1: for rewards, crowns. We should, what if you don't care? You just want to see Jesus. <laughs> and, and see, sadly, that's how a lot of Christians are living. Just so as I, so long as I get there, I don't care. I'm not gonna be working for him here, serving him here. I just want to get there. And the Bible talks about being faithful here, and and being re- 2 Timothy four, Paul talks about this hope he has of standing before the Lord, receiving rewards. So we're going to be judged for what? For our works. Our works to receive rewards. Again salvation is not at stake. You're not being judged as a Christian to determine if you get in or not. That's settled for the Christian at the cross. Jesus bore your sin. You're not, nothing's being threatened there about your salvation. This is for rewards and crowns. And stewardship through eternity of responsibilities you'll be given. Because we're not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps and singing Kumbaya. We're going to have responsibilities in heaven. I think heaven's going to be exciting. It's going to be far beyond anything we dream of what eternity is going to involve. But yes, there's going to be responsibilities and stewardships and rewards given have we been faithful here. The parable of the talents. The one with five received five more the one with two was he judged based on what the guy with five had been given no he was judged based on what he had been given he was just as faithful as the guy given five so he got rewarded too so okay Sounds better.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so again please don't hear me saying judgment for the believer that salvation is at stake no 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 no, no. not at all that's only for the unbeliever Lord
0: Thank you. Um, so my question in this um, is where does heaven come in? Because we know it's a real place. Mm-hmm. It's described clearly for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that I'm going to get to see it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, is it going to be like I think I'll be in heaven today. I think I'll be here on earth today. You know? Yeah.
1: The new heavens I, and the new earth. This earth as we know it Second it, it, Peter 3 the elements burned up there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells but if you think about it the Bible doesn't talk so much about us flying away to go to heaven the new Jerusalem in heaven just
0: comes down hmm yeah yeah
1: be that in this room or... Sure. Uh, the Christ, Christians who died in the Lord are with the Lord now in, in, in heaven. But I'm just saying the future heaven, new heavens, and new earth, it's coming down. There's going to be this earth as we know it. And I'm assuming just like there's going to be continuity and discontinuity between us, we're going to have a glorified body, It'll be different from our body now because there is no more pain, suffering, sickness, <laughs> death. But again, we'll be able to recognize you. Continuity. The new heavens and the new earth, the new earth. Continuity. It'll, it'll look like what we see now, but it'll just be a, a glorified state, a perfect state. But again, it's a physical Place. It's not some type. It's not some type of place up there that's just kind of float the clouds and we're disembodied spirits and we're up there floating around in this place that don't have any material substance. No, the new heavens and new earth is a place. You can stomp your feet on the ground. <laughs> it's a place, and you're gonna have a body. Uh, continuity discontinuity. But again, folks, please, all these details, not given here, but the detail that is given is God's got this. He's got your loved ones who have died in the Lord. They won't miss a thing. You're not going to miss anything either. You're going to be called up to meet the Lord in the air with them. You're going to undergo this radical change, be given a glorified body. And believers with the Lord are going to spend eternity with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. His point here is specifically to say no believer will miss anything. Not one of God's promises will fail. Now, thirdly, We shall all be with the Lord together for all of eternity. Verse 17. And here's the thought I have of reunion. Reunion. Jesus is coming. Dead in Christ are coming with Him. He's not not forgotten where they are. They're with Him. They're coming with Him. And we'll Be called up. Meet the Lord in there. We'll all be together forever with the Lord. Forever with the Lord. Reunion. And the result of this is what? Comfort. You can have comfort. You can have assurance. You will see your loved ones and friends again who have died in the Lord. You're going to have a new body. They're going to have a new body. Death will die we'll be with Jesus forever eternal life is your future so the whole passage is a passage of comfort and assurance and so he's telling them do you grieve yes you grieve I disagree with sometimes in church maybe you've heard at funerals before the family will be teary-eyed. They'll be crying and somebody will say, oh, don't cry. You're a Christian. There are Christians. Don't cry. Why are you grieving? We still grieve because we miss our loved ones. I guarantee you, everybody in here who has lost a loved one, you've lost a husband, some of you have lost a wife, lost a child Maybe you grieve the loss of your loved one. But, You don't grieve as those who have no hope. And that's the distinction between the Christian's hope and the unbeliever's hope. You You grieve, yes, but you don't grieve as those who have no hope. So you find somebody crying at a funeral, comfort them, cry with them. And at an appropriate time, remind them of where their loved one who died in the Lord is. He's he or she's with Jesus. And they can have that bedrock assurance. But don't tell somebody, you shouldn't cry. But again, we cry, we grieve. But we grieve as those who have hope. Jared, you were saying something. Jesus cried it when the last Yes, Jesus went. Well, you can hear it when people
0: say, "My mother's looking over me." Yeah,
1: I don't believe that. No, uh, and what some people base that on is Hebrews twelve, the cloud of witnesses. But but I here again, I think people get that backwards. Instead of our loved ones being in the stands watching every move we make, I think the writer of Hebrews, his point is. Not that they're watching us. We're watching them. You say, well, they're dead and gone. How can we watch them? His whole point in chapter 11 leading up to that is we watch them through the pages of Scripture. We read about the testimony of their lives on on the pages of the Bible. It's we see their lives and how even though they went through tough stuff and were persecuted sometimes, ultimately they were rewarded and they're with the Lord now. And so now he's saying, seeing this cloud of witnesses and looking at their lives like we've just done in chapter 11 of Hebrews, looking at their lives, you realize you're in the race now. You're the one in, they finished their race. They're with the Lord. You're the one running your race now, so you keep your eyes on Jesus and you be faithful as they were faithful. So again, I don't think they're watching over us every move we make. saying, oh, they, you know, Grandma'd be disappointed. I ran a red light today. She's probably up in heaven mad because I ran a red light today. No <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've, we've got a plug. Are you prepared to die? There's a humorous story of a man from Illinois. I don't, this is not a true story. It's, it's a, just a, a joke story for him. Illinois man who left the snow of that state to go to the beaches of Florida. you probably heard this. His wife was on a business trip and she was planning to meet him in Florida the next day. And so when he checked in to their hotel in Florida, he thought he'd email her to let her know he had arrived. But he missed one letter of her email. And it went instead to a widow whose husband had just passed away. The widow read this email passed out on the floor. You see, the man's message read this: Darling, have just arrived at my destination. And looking forward to your arrival, which I've been informed is confirmed for tomorrow. <laughs> Signed your loving husband, P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> I've got good news for you. You don't have to worry about not making it if you're in Christ. Again, Titus 1-2, we serve a God who cannot lie, who has promised to us eternal life. And I've got more good news for you. If you have a spouse, a parent, a child, a, a friend who died in the Lord, you'll see them again. If you're both believers you will see them again
0: now it's time to go